Welcome to episode 119 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast made up of the opinions of four of the greatest minds ever to discuss Linux and the history of people discussing Linux. I am Noah, and with me today are my three mutant members of the Linux Podcasting Avenger team. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? And, uh, very well. And uh, Thor, uh, uh, Zeb, how are things going? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all good. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I can't remember the green girl's name. That's what I was going to insult. She-Hulk? I, I'm fine with She-Hulk. I mean, She-Hulk, yeah, how's it going? I'll, I'll rock it. I'm doing awesome, man. Doing great. <laughs> So, Michael, I'm guessing that uh, things have been busy this week. How was Denver? It was actually pretty awesome. I got to uh, do a, I got to do some skiing, and I got sunburned while doing skiing. That was great. And um, I got to check out the System76 uh, warehouse, and that was pretty cool. So I got a tour there. Uh, and also, just to kind of like do it, like, if you're curious about the sunburn, I have a shirt that people didn't believe me, but it's truly true now. See, it says, the sun is trying to kill me. <laughs> and uh That's i have proof right yeah. there yeah i have proof now ryan uh have you been outdoors uh no that place is scary don't go outdoors trust me you get burnt and things <laughs> you, you like, get burnt like michael was saying i did some there. skiing and i fell Speaking a lot which, do that we have fun. some pictures of the skiing because rumor has it you have a selfie stick michael i do have a selfie stick but i'm not good enough to actually um, can you explain ski? uh why you might have a selfie stick I don't understand what you mean. Because inside he is he is truly a teenage girl. That's <laughs> Wait, but like who wouldn't have a selfie stick? That's do what you I'm confused. Hair by he dye, not only does that he dye his hair, he dyes his hair and he uses Rebecca Black Linux. That's all you and he has that's, a selfie stick. Wait, wait, that's that's the only that's the only Linux distro a self respecting person would use. See so, what I mean? I don't know do what you're know talking about. Right but actually the reason why this is good is because uh -huh. um, this is an adapter for your phone to attach to a tripod. So you could a actually. Dongle. They call that a dongle. It's not a dongle. It's but a dongle. It's this one part, thing that connects you, you things just, to another thing. That's a dongle. It's dangling, so it's a dongle. This part, it, ignore this part, okay? Ignore this. I'm talking about just the 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 attachment piece, like that you so can. So for those who can't see the visual right now, Michael <laughs> has a selfie stick, but it's not just any selfie stick. Uh, Noah can confirm it is the cheapest kind of selfie stick that you would get out of a dollar yeah, bin at a dollar store. If you remember way back in the 80s when teachers used to use like the telescoping antenna pointers that they would use to point, it's like one of those that he kind of hot glued. But I got it for free, and a reason I got <laughs> it was this part. <laughs> yeah, this well, part. we know you didn't pay for it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? But anyway, okay, the whole dongle, noun, a small <laughs> device used by Michael Tanell. To connect one thingy <laughs> to another thingy. You're so, straight yeah. from dictionary.com. You're making yeah. fun of how cheap it is. It just kind of broke right here, too. <laughs> oh, no. See the little pieces broke off? <laughs> I'm going to send you a real selfie stick. <laughs> I can't believe Michael has a selfie stick. But uh, how was System 76? Let's get to that. that right. That's an important one. The System 76 was really cool. It was, a, it, was a, it was a cool tour. Like I got to check out some stuff. What was really interesting is that I found out some stuff that I didn't know. Um, there was this, there's this, uh, the, the Thaleo has some, a lot of detail that they don't really talk about that. Uh, if you look at the, like the intake and the outtake fan parts, they have like custom solar systems. And the one on the back of the machine is the position of the, of the solar system when the epochs, uh, Unix epochs thing happened. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And it's also, they had the inside of the, inside of the case at the bottom, they have the solar system position where the, like the, the date of the, the beginning of system 76. So it's there's a so there's a lot of cool stuff in there there that they have like a lot of detail. They also have like Morse code on the side of the machine and stuff that nice. uh, they don't really talk about, but it's really cool if they they should do like something and they should talk about it on their website or something because it is pretty cool. Did, did they you get to see the lasers? lasers? Yeah, they the did lasers. let me uh, see the lasers, but not play with them. Unfortunately, oh. I did ask, but unfortunately, I was not Couldn't able to put it in that. your eye just they, to see how powerful it is. So uh, no, it, it's cutting metal. I don't want to put it in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's a myth. Zeb, uh, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've actually had a pretty good week. And uh, through doing nothing special, I've now got Solus back in my distro lineup. And it's working with UEFI. Don't know how, don't know why. It just works. And then the icing on the cake is Antigos Cinnamon is back. That's awesome. And the mysterious disappearing windows doesn't happen anymore. So I don't know whether that was an NVIDIA fix because we've gone 418 or a cinnamon update. I'm just happy that it's all running and working. So it's good. I love it. Ryan, what have you been up to? Well, I'm on AMD, so I don't get that chance of watching <laughs> things break and then be happy again when they finally get fixed. Well, your life is works. boring. 
Yeah, it's just boring. Uh, no, but I've been working on setting up. Uh, we were gifted a Lenovo all-in-one PC. And it really? was running Windows 10. And the person gave it to me and said it had a you know a Core i5. It oh, yeah. was an older generation, but you know not terrible. Eight gigabytes of RAM. And they said, look, it's sure. so slow, I can't even use it. You can just have it. And so what do I do? I wipe put it, it, put Linux on it. Yeah, absolutely you do. The thing is screaming. Now, it was slow. It was so slow, you would click the file manager in Windows 10, and you would literally wait for up to 15 seconds before it would load. Now it is super snappy and fast and so much so that my kids, of course, when they saw me repairing it, were like, can we have this computer? Because they're on yeah. older laptops. And I was like, <laughs> sure. It's touchscreen and all of Did that. Did you really? Did you give so, it to yeah, I gave it to them. My kids now have another computer and it's running Pop! OS. And Dude, that's very, very impressive. And was it Intel graphics or? Yeah, it's just an Intel graphics in there. So again, it works right out of the box, which is beautiful. And Excellent. it's got the speakers built in. It's got the nice touch screen too for the kids, which they absolutely love. And of course, no, I've been playing with my FreeNOS server and learning. Yes. Oh, how so is that? Give me an update. How is that working? Dude, it's <clears throat> it's amazing. It's, first of all, they set it up out of the box for right. me, thankfully. So I didn't have to go through the install po uh, process, although I had studied up on it all the way. Oh, till yeah, the you, yeah, it takes a lot of studying to um, stick that USB drive in there. Yeah, and I realized it was like there's no... It's no difficulty to it at all. But I did study up on that because I was like, if this gets here and I don't know how to even turn it on, but they had done that for me. They had set that portion up. So now it's been a process of just learning the ins and outs of it. Now, Synology, which is what I'm familiar with, very easy to set up out of the box. Boom, you're done. You want it to do a backup, whatever. The FreeNOS is a little more intricate, right? There's a lot more to set up within it. There's a lot more things to learn. There's, mm -hmm. It's also far more powerful at the end. Right, and flexible. It. Yeah. Are you so, going to go with ZFS? I am on ZFS. That's good. Is that good? Okay. All right, no, good. that's good. No, that, that, that is good. Um, yeah. So as tradition, we ask our listeners to guess where Noah is when Noah's not here. So Zeb offered some extra bonus points for the most original answer. Here were your guesses last week. Noah is obviously trying to get the Infinity Gauntlet so that he can snap his fingers and make all of the distros disappear in order to bring priests and balance to FOSS. Everything's gone but CentOS and Ubuntu. Uh, second is regarding Noah. My theory is he went water skiing, hit an iceberg, and he's pretty cold in North Dakota. Don't you know? Here's, here's what's funny about that: we actually got snow this week. It is wow. Watch says still April, uh, not quite. We're almost into May, and we still have snow. And uh, probably my favorite one and number three: one of Michael's clones kidnapped Noah, held him hostage, hoping to replace him on the show. <laughs> So, Noah, it looks like you have a different background this week. So, um... It is a bit different background. I am at Linux Fest Northwest, uh, and that's why it's a different background. I see what you did there. Um, yeah. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. I, you know, the thing about Linux Fest is, and especially the fests over the cons, right, you go here not necessarily for the talks, although the talks are stellar. I come here for the community, right? And so I spent all last night hanging out with people, talking about Linux, getting people introduced to Linux, helping people install Linux, and... Um, I don't know how this happened exactly, but somehow in the process of serving cake with System76 for a barbecue that they put on outside mm -hmm. uh, of, of Linux Fest, somehow I wound up in drag. Don't know how that happened, but it well, happened. Well, the pictures are all over the internet. In fact, yeah. I think it was up to 6,000 retweets already um, going through. So, Noah... <laughs> This may be a way to boost your presence in the Linux community by continuing to wear those type of things. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm going to make sure that uh, every year I, I put on a pink bikini and, uh, and a sell Linux. insert some cake to some Linux folks. I love it. Good for you, man. Good for you. So just before you get any ideas, no. It's not <laughs> happening itself, okay, boys? <laughs> it's not happening. Zeb walks away. I'm going back. I have, to, I have okay. a blue bikini for self. Yeah, yeah. Pink one is Linux West, Northwest blue one is self. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, let's get into some emails here. So we have a new email this week, guys. Thank you very much for adding your comments about accessibility to your news about the new version of MX. I have not heard of MX, and I was listening to the podcast thinking I would have to check it out with all the attendant Googling for info about whether it is accessible. And then bingo, out of pops, exactly kind of brief comments about accessibility I've been wishing for. I will take the time to contact the devs to see if I can help in any way to either get Orca to work 
or to make some other additions to get around it. I love that. I love that they, you know, want to go out there and help resolve the issue, not just say, hey, it is, there is a problem there with, you know, this accessibility. I hope somebody else goes out and fix it, but they're actually taking the cadence to come out there and fix it themselves, which is awesome. And I'm sure Dolphin will appreciate you reaching out as well. For example, uh, he goes on, if an SSH server was running out of the box, it would be possible to boot it and then SSH in from another accessible machine and tinker. Please remember to do this each time you review another distro. It only takes a minute extra or so to either say yay or nay on the subject of whether a distro is accessible or not. Thanks again, Mike. So this is interesting. We've received several emails from the community asking about, can we make sure we cover accessibility when we're talking about a distro? Mm -hmm. So this week and last week, we have started to attempt this in the week before that. So last three weeks, we've attempted this. And I can tell you, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. which leads to a problem that I didn't know existed until our community reached out to us about it, which is nobody, for the most part, except for your main distro flavors, actually even have a section discussing their accessibility. Yeah. So the only way I can actually find out if it has accessibility options or not is to install a distro or burn it onto an ISO and try to look at it for myself and unfortunately, I don't know all the things to look for, but I know the the installer being able to read, zoom in, zoom out, magnification capabilities, those type of things are important. So I'm looking for those, but it is way more difficult than it should be. It should be a simple Google search on a distro. They have an accessibility section, which should be a key component, in my opinion, of every documentation and say whether they have it or not. And it's fine if they don't have it and there's an opportunity for people to contribute to add one for it, but at least let people know because it's it's painful. It takes me now twice as long to put a distro in the news because nobody's documenting this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the shame is there are a lot of distros out there with accessibility options. Because with my 4K monitors, one of the first things I do is I go and find that accessibility section and tick the box that says large text. Then you don't have to worry about minor minute headings on all of the windows. So it's there. But as you rightly says, trying to find where it's written and what it's for, it's just non-existent. So we have a lot of devs that listen to this show. So my my ask is please uh, add in some information into your documentation about accessibility on your website and in your documents mm-hmm. so that uh, individuals who rely on knowing this information to even use your distro know And number two, I think it is an important thing, and this is an area where the community's reached out to us on an area to improve in that we've embraced. So we will keep trying to talk about this stuff in the future, but thank you for reaching out and uh, telling us about it. So this goes to prove that we just want to hear from you, our listeners, send in your favorite Linux software or tips or tricks. We'd love to know about what tool makes your Linux experience amazing. And as we talked about before, is there perhaps a specific Linux topic that you would like us to cover? And this just proves that we do listen because you guys mentioned accessibility and we're now trying to cover it. So keep those emails coming and send them to comments at destinationlinux.org. Okay, so on to the distro news. Um, And in the uh, wake of 1904 coming out, and I'm not quite sure whether this particular OS came out before or after 1904. Right after. But we've got a... It was just prior, was it? No, it's it's like uh, it came out like within the next day or something. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Well, Pop OS goes 1904. And... While it's not going to be possible for us to cover every single distro based upon Ubuntu that's going to go 1904, Pop! OS has had a resurgence of popularity just mm. recently. So we wanted to cover some of the changes they're making in addition to what comes packed in the 1904.5 kernel. But initially, there are some unique highlights of Pop! OS that are included in this release. So they now have a slim mode option that maximizes your screen real estate by reducing the height of the header on the application windows. Yes. Yes, very nice. That's awesome. And one of the major problems with stock GNOME. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, And they've also now got a dark mode that gives your applications a relaxing ambience for nighttime viewing. Both dark mode and slim mode can be activated in the appearance settings menu. 
Um, Ryan, there must be loads more. Tell us, a, tell us about a few of them. Yeah, there is loads more in here. They have updated a course, which I know you'll like, the NVIDIA driver from the 410 to 418, which provides a lot of good hardware and stability fixes, as well as improves GNOME shell animations for them. Uh, besides some enhancements, they've also put some you know, bug fixes into place. Packaging for both CUDA 10.1 and TensorFlow 1.13.1 toolkits are in place. Popsicle, the installation media creator for PopOS, has been improved. And because we want to talk about accessibility here, and I installed PopOS on my son's computer, I went to look at this. Um, the only info regarding accessibility on PopOS's website is under keyboard shortcuts portion of the manual that I could find. They have toggle screen reader, toggle magnifier, zoom in and zoom out options. I did not see any accessibility options in the installation media at all uh, when I booted the ISO. So that is an area perhaps that they could improve in. Or if it's there and I just couldn't find it, then perhaps they could make it something that's a little more easy to uh, identify. And also, again, like we're talking about for every distro, I think they need to just add a section saying accessibility and list out all the features that they have there. But otherwise, look, PopOS has gained a ton in popularity. If you're kind of following social media and things out there, people are really taking a second look at it because it has a very unique GNOME implementation. Just a lot of nice um, tweaks. And even things like the wallpaper and the themes that they use make PopOS just feel very, very modern in comparison to other implementations of GNOME out there. So mm -hmm. definitely something I recommend taking a look at if you haven't checked out Pop OS in a while. Yeah. Noah, what are your thoughts? Well, just before we get to Noah, Noah could probably answer this one for me. One of the things that I've never seen before is refresh install. Mm -hmm. So you can apparently reinstall Pop OS over the top of what you've already got, and it doesn't mess up your home directory and all the other, other bits and pieces. So how is that going to work from a technical standpoint? In any distribution is capable of doing that, right? If you don't, when you go to install, uh, you know, you're going to create a file system and then you're going to put directories on top of it, depending on how you partition the drive or how you redo that, that file structure. If I blow away everything in the file structure except for slash home, uh, I am going to preserve slash home and I will redo everything else, the bootloader, the kernel, all of that stuff. If you, uh, you could, I mean, you could also do it with just a separate partition altogether, but you know, this is really, I think the important part there is uh, this is what happens when you have a company that takes the time to develop an operating system for their customers because system 76's goals align with what their customers want. Mm -hmm. And so if you want an easy to use ship from the store, uh, a computer that runs Linux, guess what? This Lenovo ThinkPad runs Linux out of the box. So I'm getting that in both with both brands. What I'm not getting with the ThinkPad and what I am getting with the System76 is the fact that uh, that computer is going to be built and software is going to be put onto it such that I can reinstall my operating system as a recovery mode just like I would uh, uh, any other computer. And because of the nature of Linux being everything as a file on Linux, it gives us some additional flexibility that you wouldn't have in a Windows file system. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. And it's mainly it's cool because they, they took the time to actually create this this recovery partition structure so that mm -hmm. even if it doesn't like by default, you can any system can do any distro could do it. But I don't think I can't really think of any of off the top of my head that it can act that has it built mm -hmm. in by default. So this mm -hmm. is really cool that they're actually adding it to it. So if you do like some people will say that, you know, after a, after a certain amount of time, they do a fresh install so they can get rid of all the like the, the, the clutter and stuff like that. It doesn't really happen that bad on Linux anyway, but it's nice that if you wanted the option to kind of have a fresh install while still having all the stuff that you really that you you know you created over that that amount of time you can still have it so that's really cool that they did it mm. and, and the reason why i asked about this is because one of the um the biggest things that i hear being asked of the people on the forums is did you do a fresh install or did you install over the top of your existing root and home partitions because a lot of um problems occur when you've reinstalled an os left your original home partition so in your dot config and your dot local and all the other stuff is configurations from a previous install so they must be doing something that negates that complication because um, if you don't go back in and reinstall those programs then you've got unnecessary clutter in your dot config or your dot local so i thought that was was a really good selling point for pop os definitely 
So we have some slightly unfortunate news and kind of maybe some positive news to wait, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Scientific Linux has now announced that they are coming to an end. Uh, Fermilab maintained Scientific Linux for many years, and they've decided that they're going to uh, discontinue. They're still going to maintain it for for the, the length of the year that they said that they would, uh, years that they said they would. So uh, if you're still using it, you can continue using it. But they've said that they're no longer going to make new versions and have decided that they will be using CentOS as their like scientific computing uh, base distro. So they'll still be making some in computing environments and they'll still be making some stuff for scientific Linux, but instead of having their own distro, they're going to be setting it on top of CentOS. Uh, the announcement stated that they're looking f- to the future of collaboration, and part of that is unifying their infrastructure with other labs and institutions which CentOS will allow them to accomplish. Uh, so I think that this is kind of like it's it's interesting it's that sense. yeah it, it's interesting because we talked about this uh, on an on a stream that I was on about like appliance distros and how this was good but I how scientific Linux was good for that type of pur- pur- purpose but I think that this is a a better approach because having CentOS having all of these tools for all the different labs and everybody can, can collaborate for developing and improving those tools is definitely a much better approach because it has the potential of the, the the community working together to provide something that is very specific use case that might may not be getting as much attention as it as it previously could have. Not by but this, they're doing this, they'll be able to do it a lot better. But why create it in the first place? What was the issue that was occurring that no longer is? Is it so you have you have schools and you have research facilities that wanted to run software that was designed for rel but they didn't want to they they couldn't either couldn't or didn't want to pay for rel because they didn't feel like they needed to support infrastructure and rel being rel said hey, oh that's fine here's the source code knock yourself out just take all of our trademark logos out so they did and they started re, they essentially recompiled binary compatible versions of red hat as scientific linux sent us so on and so forth at some point red hat looked up and went wait a minute those guys over Canonical, they give their software away for free and they're people that use it. And now they're the number one provider on cloud platforms. You know, what would be really great is if people would use Red Hat on the cloud. They probably don't want to pay $300 per year per subscription. Maybe we should have a free version that we give away. Let's all those CentOS, CentOS guys are doing exactly that. Great. Let's go over and throw money in their corner so that they can keep doing what they're doing. We'll just give them paychecks to do it. So and at the time, Scientific Linux, happened. the CentOS wasn't around necessarily yes. Yes. at that time. Exactly. Uh, no, I, I think, well, no, that's not true. The, uh, CentOS and Scientific Linux, both of them were binary recompiles of Red Hat, and they both coexisted at the same time. I think they were created uh, at the I, same I, time, I, so like there was like a very small gap where they, well, they had to choose. It wasn't like CentOS right. wasn't ready to do uh, what Scientific Linux wanted at the time. Right, but my I guess my point was that they're, bo- they're both – they both set out to accomplish the same goal. CentOS just got a little bit more notoriety than uh, Scientific Linux. And if you ask me, it's because Red Hat officially endorsed, even before they owned them, officially endorsed CentOS in all of their training materials. So if you went to a Red Hat certified training course, they would tell you to install CentOS Linux to practice on and to use in production if you needed something that, that didn't require a license. You know, and, and it's interesting because that, that shift is evolving ever more. Today, Red Hat actually gives a free developer license for RHEL proper out. And so if you want to get an actual license and don't have the funds to pay for it, you, Red Hat actually even allows that. And then you can run RHEL proper uh, with a developer account. Nice. So let me ask, one of the things that this reminded me of a little bit, not making a direct comparison here, was Ubuntu Studio. And the reason is when I thought about scientific Linux and I was looking into it, uh, what I noticed is they have a ton of packages that are very specific to the scientific community. So if you were just coming into Linux, you know, and utilizing it as your platform, you may not know all of those exist. When I went into Ubuntu Studio back when I learned Linux, I didn't know all these audio things exist. And that's why I loved Ubuntu Studio when I first used it, because even though there already is an Ubuntu version of Linux. This one had all of the audio stuff packaged there. So is this a case, though, with CentOS where they are going to move all the scientific, well, probably all the scientific programs exist there, but are they going to move it into a package so people who are getting into that realm have a simple way of just getting all of these apps, much like you would have had on a scientific Linux. Yeah. I I think they're going to do like kind of, they haven't really specified exactly what they're going to do as far as like abandoning all of their approaches, as far as like making their own like ISO. 
they haven't talked about that. They're just they're not going to make Scientific Linux as a separate entity anymore or a separate distro. They might still be releasing Scientific Linux as a base of CentOS. You still get the pre-default uh, installed stuff. You see, if you never heard of it, you don't know what tools they are. They might still give you the option. While at the same time, you could still install the stuff into CentOS. I think that that's what they're going for, but they haven't really specified if they're going to continue making ISOs or not, or if they're just going to have an installer that you can put onto CentOS. Uh, yeah. So I think it'd be um, either way it'd be it'd be useful for the other labs and other research institutions to benefit from. But I do think that if if you were just now getting you know, into it, I don't it, know if I agree with that. What do you mean? Well, because I we spend uh, one of our primary customers is the or one of the places that we do a lot of Linux support for is the university systems, right? And all of those are doing research, and almost all of them uh, are. All of the, the software manufacturers that manufacture research software, nobody is writing for scientific Linux, right? Like those packages are written for, for RHEL or RHEL binary compatible systems. I don't know if there's really anything in 2019 that scientific Linux is doing that any other RHEL clone wouldn't do or RHEL proper wouldn't do. Well, I just meant like you, the beneficial to provide people who are like not for, not a part of an institution that or might want to implement this in a... You know, like an institution that doesn't have anything right now and they want to, like a small one that's trying to implement something, they could get the benefit of having CentOS. Yeah, well, they could get the benefit of having CentOS and Scientific Linux stuff on top of it. So, like, I, if they made an ISO that's just CentOS that has the stuff, they could get that as like an, intro, an introductory thing. But at the same time, they'd still, because they're using CentOS as the base, you still get the benefit of all the binary compatibility of Red Hat. So, I think that it's, 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 I don't know what they're, if they're doing it or not. I just kind of, I kind of hope it. If they, they provide both options for people who need it and people who don't, because um, that would be much better for like brand new institutions that are trying to uh, implement Linux in some way. So I think I hope that that's what they're going to do. But I, well, I have yet. one more question to poke the bear a little bit here in this case, perhaps in this conversation. But I've noticed it's in, and this is just gut feeling because I've not done research on it. But you all have been in Linux much longer than me. One of the big complaints about I've heard from Linux, fair or not, I'm not saying it's a legitimate complaint, but one of the complaints you hear is there's too much choice. There's too many distros, there's too many flavors and spinoffs and stuff. It seems like, in I my opinion, that. in the last couple of years, I, we're starting to cover a lot of news where some of these flavors are converging and ending. Is this the Good. start of something bigger? Better. Are we going to start seeing this happen and an accelerated you don't want to, right now. No, I understand. You don't want to stay better. You don't want to say the word better. And I understand why you don't want to say the word better. But the truth is, it's better. We are we are at a point where any idiot can spin a distro, right? Any idiot. The tools are widely enough available, and Linux is popular enough that any idiot can sit down and throw some code together, put some packages together, and create it, uh, spin up an ISO and offer it for download. The problem with doing that is it is detrimental to new Linux users because they come in and they look at something and say, oh, look, there's a distro that does XYZ. That's the distro that I should use because I want to do XYZ. And then you come find out distro XYZ is really just an Ubuntu base that, that the distro maintainer never updates and package four tools on top of it because that's the four tools that that guy uses. And it's, it's some piece of crap spin off by one guy uh, that, you know, kind of haphazardly does it in the community. And I think that's way more detrimental to us as a whole community than it's ever been helpful. There are very few esoteric distros that are truly a benefit uh, to everybody out there. Now, there are some, right? Like, I think Kali, uh, Kali Linux, I guess esoteric might not be the way, right term, but purpose-specific distros, you know, like Kali Linux or Clonezilla or any of those appliance-like utilities, yeah. some of those are okay uh, and good, and I'm glad we have them, but by and large, every time somebody has a different workflow does not necessarily mean that we should have a different distro for it. I mean, I would agree with that, but I think there's, I think the, the fragmentation is both a, a benefit and a curse. So, like, it has... It has some benefits of having those appliance structures like the Kodi LibreLX style stuff. And then we have um, the benefits of all the other, um, you know, appliance based things. It, it is good that we have those in certain aspects, but there are a ton of uh, distros that are that are just they don't need to exist. I mean, the, you said that there's like there's certain workflow that they have. I've seen distros that only exist because they have a different theme. And like, why? Just don't even bother. Well, is it? You know, on your show, Noah, I've when I when I hear your interviews, and even on our show, when we talk to developers and say, "Why do this spinoff? Why did you create this?" One of the top answers I generally hear 
relates to, well, I tried to get this particular distro to do X, Y, Z, or for them to implement this type of feature that I needed. And they refused when I went on the dev forums, they weren't interested, they wouldn't listen to me. So I went off and created my own. So is that a situation that's ever going to get resolved? Because you've always in Linux have people that are, you know, over the main distros. If let's say we got down to three or four that maybe, you know, somebody's doing it better, but they just don't want to do it because they don't want to maintain it. They don't see the vision. I mean, isn't that a way to, in a way that we're pushing I mean, forward through this? Yeah, I mean, here's here's the reality. We wouldn't have gotten to where we are today. Linux wouldn't be as successful as it is today if we didn't have competition, right? So you can't, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not advocating that we eliminate competition uh, in any stretch of the imagination, but one of the, I, I guess where I come to, or how I would answer that question is this. If you want, if you mm. see a hole in the community and you want to try and fill it, I don't have any beef with that. Knock yourself out. In fact, we would never have things like Clonezilla. We'd never have things like Kali Linux. If somebody didn't say, hey, you know what? It's a real pain in the tuchus to configure Debian or to configure Ubuntu to be a penetration testing distro. It requires us to install a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, of utilities and, and tiny little one-off pieces of software. It also requires special configuration of the network interface. It's also one of the few times you want to run as the root user. Like there's all of these things that we need to be able to do to do penetration testing that we should probably try its own distro. If they were listening to me and my advice and said, well, Noah says don't make distros just because for a certain workflow, the Linux community would be a lot worse off, right? So that that advice has to be taken with a grain of salt. But if something, if tomorrow you 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 wake up and all of the penetration, the entire market is 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 using a a, a a stock Ubuntu install and putting their own tools on top of it, you have to wake up, smell the coffee, and say, "Hey, listen, it I I don't I sh stop trying to talk people into your distro." and start making distros for those that don't have them. I had a conversation, this is a couple years ago, and a guy came up to me and he asked me, he said, how can I, here's my distro, I, I spun it up, how do you think I could go about getting people to use it? And aside from the enormity of the fact that he wanted to be, you know, the next de facto Linux desktop distro, which is a big feat in and of itself, I asked him to, to really consider the question, why? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to, why do you want people to use your distro over, uh, you know, Ubuntu. Why do you? What's wrong with Ubuntu being the the de facto distro? And he didn't have an answer for me. And that really told me all I needed to know is is a lot of these people approach these subjects as in, well, how can I get people on my boat? And the question we should be asking is, where are the holes in the water that need some boats for people to get into? Right. So I, I, I guess that's my answer back to you. I'm not saying we stifle competition. I'm not saying that isn't what makes Linux better. I'm just saying we we tend to go about that in the wrong way and it tends to fracture the community and it tends to do more harm in the long run than good because you wind up with people all over the place. Well, what we're doing is in a lot of cases, it seems like a situation that could be solved with a simple script or grouping applications yes. together into a single package versus mm -hmm. re-creating the whole wheel and re-spinning your own version of a entire distro versus just packaging a bunch of software that you know right. the scientific community mm -hmm. needs or you know the audio yes. community needs or whatever uh, right. or creating a simple install script and it's simpler way to maintain more, for way more valuable to the community yeah, yeah but, absolutely. but by the same token though you might have people out there who aren't comfortable offering their services to the likes of ubuntu or manjaro or whoever you'd like to do but they want to get into Linux deeper. So they come along, they take, I'll tell you what, I like that base, but I'd like it if it did this, that, and the other. And they go along and they make their own distro for whatever reason. And then having done that for two or three years, they say, do you know what? I'm actually quite good at this. Hi, Ubuntu. This is some of the work I've done. Can I help you anywhere? And that's given them the confidence to then move on mm -hmm. and, and contribute to, to, to another project. So I wouldn't like to see that go away entirely. No, of course We not. understand exactly where well, you're coming from. So, so to qualify what you, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, a, a classic example of what Michael was talking about is there's a, a Voyager Linux out there, which is just a Zubuntu clone. And he openly admits that he took Zubuntu and just put his look and, and feel on it. But there are some really clever things that he does on his particular distro. Now, if he then decides to drop Voyager in a few years' time, he could quite easily then get in touch with Sean and say, hey, look, I've been making my own distro for a few years. Where can I help you out on now? So that's where I think some of the benefits could come through from these guys 
tinkering with this open source software. I'll give you a perfect example of what Ryan is saying, and then I'll give a perfect example of what Zeb's saying. So, Ryan, uh, we are, or we are, when we set up broadcast appliances, the guy, mm -hmm. uh, Fred Gleason, the guy who developed Rivendell, there's no Rivendell appliance distro, much to the chagrin or the, the, um, a lot of people are unhappy about the fact that they, you can't just download an ISO and make a Rivendell appliance, right? right? But the but the the advantage to that is, and what Fred would tell you is that there are if you want to buy a, uh, an appliance, then he sells boxes, and there's a premium for that. If you want to put the software on yourself, he offers exactly what you said: a script that goes through and pulls down from repositories everything you need, and then other scripts that go and configure the system to be used for broadcast. And I've come to appreciate that because it means. I just have to carry my CentOS stick with me, and I can turn any CentOS box into a broadcast appliance. But to Zeb's point, one of the things that we're doing at AltaSpeed right at this very moment, in fact, I had a conference with, I had a meeting with the guy at Linux Fest Northwest about this, is we are creating a distro for kiosk use. And it's not that there aren't distros out there that are, that, that, uh, are designed for kiosk use. They just, in my opinion, are not as good as what we're going to do. And so we're going to try to compete in that space. But I'm not going to go out there and try to convince everybody that has a kiosk that ours is better. I'm going to, to create that software for our use case. And if it happens to take off and it organically happens to become more popular, and I think it probably will, than existing kiosk software out there, then I'm fine with that. And, and, and we'll continue to support it and make it for everybody. If not, we'll just keep it in-house. But I'm not going to go out and talk to people and say, hey, hey, you know what you need to do? If you have a kiosk, you need to use our software because ours is better than the other guy, you know? That, that I think is where the is where the problem is. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, good conversation, and I think it will be interesting to see in the future how many of these kind of distro flavor spinoffs that may not ne be necessary realize it's time to maybe call it quits and move their stuff into just a package onto another distro, a core distro, and go help out and and build something along with uh, you know appliance that's a little more popular and useful. Mm -hmm. A new Lenovo Edge server is out, and this thing is really cool. It is the SE350. Now, yeah. Lenovo has released some information on this server, and it is unique because of its small form factor. Now, my personal opinion is that this device is really modeled not modeled after. That's the wrong way to put it. But this device comes in the wake of things like the Mac Mini, the Raspberry Pi, the Intel Nooks, all of these are small form factor PCs. And, and what manufacturers I think have caught on is that people like small machines that they can put everywhere, attach to the back of TVs, uh, attach uh, on the back of walls, put in, in, in broom closets, stuff like that. And with a, a height of 1.75 inches, a width of 8.1 inches, and a depth of 14.9 inches. This is a tiny little machine, and I will be—I personally will purchase one the second it becomes available yeah. for purchase. The reason is it's a small profile device, which means it can go on the back of any rack or mounted to the wall. And the, the, the truth is, in a lot of business environments, they don't want the overhead of a rack. If you have a rack, mm -hmm. you have to have a PDU. If you have a PDU, you probably want a switch. If you have a switch, you probably want a, a, a patch panel. And by the time you get done with all of those things, now you're sitting at four or $500 just in infrastructure to mount a server in. Uh, there is something to be said about screwing the thing to the wall, plugging it into a wall plate and calling it good. Mm -hmm. It has tamper resist. It the the chassis itself is tamper resistant. Uh, it seeks to be encrypted with self destruction. Some other features include plug and go features that you don't need physical access to. Wi Fi and LTE connections. A ZND processor. Up to two hundred and fifty six gigabytes of RAM. Sixteen terabytes. Up to a sixteen terabyte solid state hard drive and support for the NVIDIA Tesla T four for edge interfacing or AI deployment. So I think this is going to be a really competitive product. And uh, like I say, I'll be purchasing. What do you guys think? I was super excited to see this. You know, one of the implementations I thought of, Noah, is we were talking in Telegram about uh, potential business opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that, that business opportunity, I thought of this perfectly. Meaning, you know, like you said, a lot of people who are starting out their businesses, their small business, they don't want to invest or even have the space for that matter. I remember my dad's first shop, you couldn't put a server rack in there if you wanted to, there wasn't enough right. space. But being able to mount something that's a powerful server, it's capable of doing um, very powerful tasks, especially when you look at the, the specs in here, 
as well as having enterprise grade level options within it that you can mount to a wall or mount several of them to a wall if you needed to is amazing. The touch and go capability, plug and go capability, where if you have a situation where you're providing servers as a service and some services that you're pre-installing on there, you basically do the setup, you ship it to them. You don't have $5,000 in shipping costs because it's not a giant unit and uh, you ship it to them. They mount it to a wall, plug it in and they're ready to go. Just very cool stuff that they're doing here. When I, when I seen this and then I looked over at my 29 inch by 19 inch server, I thought, I got to get one of these too and right. just see how this, how this compares because the wife wouldn't be quite as mad with this little uh, form factor server versus what I have. But uh, yeah, I think it's very cool. I don't know it says there's no pricing, but have we got any indicative amounts that it might come out at? It's going to depend on how you how you probably stack the features in this thing. Here would be my here would be my guess. My guess, I'm comparing this to if you look at the Dell Optiplex uh, 3020 series, it's a very it's almost an identical form factor. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, this might be a little deeper, but it's a very similar form factor. We'll say, um, and so I would guess you're probably going to be in that fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar price range. If I were if I were a betting man, depending on how you configure it, uh, mm-hmm. obviously you put two hundred fifty six gigs of RAM, you can about quadruple that price. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I love the LTE connectivity options as well. That are they're going for appliances. That's what they're yeah. that's what they're designing, and I, it's good because there aren't a lot of options out there for commercial enterprise grade stuff. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so now on to some Team Green news. Um, and NVIDIA gross. have released... Sorry? Gross. Team Green. Gross. gross. Team Green? <laughs> Team Green for the win all day long, boys. Okay, all right. Not but this anyway, case. So let's get on to the serious aspects of this particular news article because NVIDIA have released the GeForce GTX 1650. So they've announced the release of this uh, video card and it's going to come in at around $150. But of course, that does not include any of the new ray tracing capabilities for that price. Uh, this card is said to deliver double the performance of the old GTX 950 Maximal and can do so with only 75 watts. So this means that you can just buy this card, plug it into your computer, mm-hmm. and not worry, have to worry about any other power supplies, and away it goes. Now, I did ask myself, why are NVIDIA going down this route? And I think it's because AMD have showed them the way. Um, And although I'm a fanboy of NVIDIA and I am team green through and through, I think if I was looking at this price range, I'd probably go for the 570 or the 580 because I think it's just a better deal. But they've realized that they might have captured the top end of the market, but there's an awful lot of work going on at that lower end. Now, I know you always look into these types of things, um, Ryan. So what's your impression of the 1650? I was very excited, actually, at first that NVIDIA is starting to play ball in this low to mid-range style cards. It's important for from a competitive standpoint. And the fact is, while some of us, you know, have the uh, abilities and uh, to, to buy some of these very expensive cards, your average market consumer doesn't. And, or even kids who are just getting into gaming and things, they don't have, when they compare that to a $400 PlayStation to go out there and spend $700 on just a video card and, and play the same, it's not really equating, right? So you want to, I think AMD was smart to go after the market they went after, which was low to mid at first until they could release things like they, they're starting to and what will have come out, of course, later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and NVIDIA is taking note. I think you're going to have a lot more cards selling at this level, especially since Bitcoin is no longer at this current state profitable for mining for most people. So what you've seen before is everyone was getting these high-end cards and NVIDIA and AMD both couldn't even keep them on the shelf. You couldn't buy them. And it wasn't because people were all these people suddenly had $700 for video cards. It was because people were creating massive server farms of, of video cards. They were buying thousands at a time to Bitcoin mine. And that's why the prices of them shot up. Now NVIDIA doesn't have that advantage now. Now they're seeing the true value of their cards sitting out there at $700 and $1,000 and $1,600. And they're not flying off the shelf. In fact, when I was at Best Buy, and uh, fries the other day. They were all sitting there. They had tons of stock of these cars. That was you couldn't even find one seven eight months ago in a store. So now I think Nvidia is smart. They're saying, okay, well we need to go after the lower market here. Unfortunately, this card from everything I've seen is a complete bust. 
It is mm-hmm. slower than the RX 570. It doesn't deliver near the performance that they should be, especially on a card that's coming out way later than the 570. And even the reviewers who are pro NVIDIA and Team Green, which I do watch, Zeb, because uh, I was Team Green at one point too. They mm-hmm. basically are poo-pooing all over this card because it's just not... It's not even on the same level as the 570, which is actually cheaper. And and uh, older and cheaper and does better. Yeah. yeah. There was one. Do you know what the problem is? It's NVIDIA. So people will just buy it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That's possible. That's also true. But there's going to be the. There's all these YouTubers have said that it's just not even worth caring about. They even said that when uh, one of them that I watched, uh, he said that, that the, the title of the video was, Are, Is NVIDIA even trying anymore? Because yeah. there was this one. Uh, they got they got the, uh, the 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 card in like two weeks in advance of the actual release, but the drivers were not available, so they couldn't actually test anything. And they were like, mm-hmm. "Well, why do they not give us the drivers? Maybe they're trying to hide something." And then he goes through and says, "Yes, they're trying to hide something. They're hiding a lot. It is um, some stuff that they're saying that you know the the touring uh, technology is involved is included in this, except for." the part that you actually care that it's there is not being used by the touring. It's being used by something else. I forgot what he said, but like mm-hmm. they have so many things that are hiding that it's just, they're just hoping that the brand of NVIDIA is enough to get people to buy this. But he said, if you're going to buy something at this level, the 570 is cheaper, better. And uh, even though it's older, it does everything better. He said, I, in comparison, it decimated the NVIDIA card on every test mm-hmm. that they did. And in one, t- they said, and specifically one test, they didn't actually show on the, the record because the NVIDIA dr- uh, card didn't even work with it. It just crashed. So like now, NVIDIA does have the capability. Yeah, it is interesting. NVIDIA does have the capability much like AMD because AMD is not innocent here. They'll release a card and oh, then yeah. three months later, there's a better driver and the thing kicks up in performance and is way better. So there is the possibility the 1650 will become a true competitor and they just haven't unlocked its potential yet. But I don't see that as often in NVIDIA as I do AMD, for instance. Yeah. I will tell you this, though. It continues to make me think that when you look at the new cards that are coming out, the there's the new seven nanometer uh, GPUs and also CPUs, Ryzen 3 series and other elements, Intel's potential graphic card coming into the market. All of those that I just said are likely to run into the same situation that we've run into with the Radeon 7 in which all of the drivers will be built into the kernel and all of these distros that take six to eight months to update their kernels in between versions we're going to be leaving these cards out to dry unless there's something done where the hardware enablement stacks are moved faster into these older versions of the kernels uh, for backwards compatibility because Intel's about to enter this market as well and they're going to do the same thing AMD is and release their drivers into the kernel. So there, there's a bigger problem here that, that, that I keep seeing because AMD is capturing the market before it was fine for a distro just to focus on NVIDIA because they owned 80-90% of the market, that's shifting quickly. And mm-hmm. NVIDIA is bombing faster and faster and faster. And I really think that uh, distros need to pay attention to AMD a little more. I agree. It's also interesting that, in, that NVIDIA is having this issue, this issue because they typically never had this problem. Their, their drivers were ready very quickly. They're actually more quickly available for Linux users now than the Windows people. And the Windows people are having issues. So it's just interesting that NVIDIA is, is trying to keep up with AMD's, like, their push is, go, is getting so much, like, they're getting so much attention and so much stuff that it feels like NVIDIA just kind of pushed this release before it was ready. Yep. So next in our news is the Intel Cascade Lake processor and specifically the benchmarks for this. So perhaps you're getting ready to upgrade your service at work or you're building a new server for your home. And if you have a comfortable budget, that is, you may be looking at the new Intel Cascade Lake processor family out there. And you might be asking yourself, you know, should I install Windows on this new server with these new beautiful processors I just bought? Or should I install FreeBSD? Or should I install Linux? Let's just pretend here for a second because we know the answer is always Linux. Yeah. But Pharonix has performed some benchmarks just to make sure, in case you were questioning, on the new Platinum 8280s. So there's two of these, which means in this system, the server he had set up, you have 56 cores and 112 threads. That is probably powerful enough to run Super Tux Cart. I'm not sure, but definitely some serious power there uh, under there from a server standpoint. So just to summarize, I did rank these scores from best to worst in the various benchmarks, and I'm only going to read to you the top two in each of the segments. So doing some SQLite inserts, 
benchmarks, FreeBSD, OpenSUSE were the fastest out. Um, and by the way, we're comparing FreeBSD, OpenSUSE, Ubuntu, Clear, CentOS, Windows Server, and Windows Server WSL. So the Linux layer within Windows are all in the benchmark. So FreeBSD, OpenSUSE was the fastest. IOZone Write Performance, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu. JSON, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu. Go, OpenSUSE, and Clear. Video encoding, Clear and FreeSBSD took the first and second spot. FLAC, Clear and OpenSUSE. Blender, Clear and OpenSUSE. PHP, clear and OpenSUSE took the first and second place. So looking at these scores, the winner here clearly was Clear Linux, won most of the benchmarks, and second place went to OpenSUSE. So I have to ask, is this surprising to any of you that those two are the top or fastest in running this Intel server platform Cl benchmark? Clear, no, because Intel makes clear and it should have right. a good, good uh, performance. And also, clear is heavily focused on trying to get like the best performance uh, benchmarks like a lot. Uh, it's also not very user friendly, but uh, there's that thing. Uh, but I am surprised that OpenSUSE is, is is that high in the the testing for all this stuff because I you kept saying clear and OpenSUSE, clear and OpenSUSE. That's <laughs> like yeah, it's very it, it interesting. Was it was very interesting. So second play or third place went to CentOS. FreeBSD and Ubuntu were tied and Windows came in dead last. Noah, I have to ask you because I know you're a big CentOS person. Are you surprised mm -hmm. at all? Uh, no, I'm a little surprised. Uh, here's the thing. CentOS tends to be a very, very uh, light distro. And I mean, I've run CentOS uh, with 500 uh, or uh, I almost said 500 gigs around 512 megs of RAM. And I do that pretty pretty regularly, actually, depending on what the what the what the job of the server is. So it's a very very light distro out of the box, and of course you can stack as much on top of it as you want. Um, to see, so to see OpenSUSE come in uh, second, that surprised me. Windows being uh, dead last, no uh, no surprise there. <laughs> exactly. They're coming in first, not really a surprise there. Nice. So up next in the show, uh, Handshake is at it again. They've donated three hundred thousand to Debian. They, Debian received a generous donation from the Handshake Company, and Debian stated that this is significant financial contribution will help Debian to continue the hardware replacement plan designed for the Debian system administrators, renewing servers and other hardware components, and thus making the development and community infrastructure of the project more reliable. Uh, this is actually really cool because uh, Handshake isn't done here. In fact, they'll be donating uh, upwards to $10 million dollars to various floss development developers and projects as well as nonprofit organizations and universities to support free software development and maybe uh, Linux and open source podcasting people um, so they donated to arch so I love them already <laughs> there you go so this begs the questions uh, who is handshake so in short handshake is a decentralized permissionless naming protocol compatible with DNS it's kind of like on the the blockchain type of uh, approach mm -hmm. and in which every peer to peer uh, val is validating and in charge of managing the root zone with the goal of creating an alternative to existing cer certificate authorities. This is pretty interesting because it, it has a lot of potential to make a make the web more robust and more secure because of everybody is is everybody is checking to see if the certificates are authenticated or not, rather than you know just dealing with it, like hoping that the certificate authorities are keeping up to date with everything. So to kind of put this in better perspective, and I know, Michael, you are going to know more about this than any of us, but from what I was able to understand, when we talk about top domain domains in the root zone, because a lot of this is not centralized today when it comes to websites, right? It's not a centralized thing, but when it comes to the root that they're trying to centralize here, what we're talking about is .com, .biz, those, those specific top-level domains, right? That's what they're referencing switching out utilizing blockchain and this runs on top of the current technology so that it's not a situation where you have to choose one or the other they're going to kind of go together right you can you get the benefit of having both and you really can't uh replace the existing tld structure because it's so convoluted and it has uh it like there's a the system of the dot com dot org and dot net were all created by the u.s government and then handed off to the ICANN organization and the ICANN organization then takes that and gives it to the registry companies or registrar companies who then sell access to them and stuff so there's like no owner of those so having like there's, there's a lot of like confusion and like who gets to control that thing so adding the stuff on top of it with this uh, handshake approach allows you to have more secure and more like, you know, make sure that the certificates are, are more 
um, reliable, and, like the more decentralized as well. But at the same time, like a lot of other uh, TLDs are, are centralized because they're controlled by a particular entity or a particular country and all that other stuff. So for the most part, there is centralization in, in a, in a way in a lot of TLDs, but the main ones that are most people that have been around the longest have some decentralization, but not on purpose. So this is a way to, uh, secure it in the sense of like, make sure that the certificate authorities are, um, you know, are more up to date and more or more known and reliable without, without also having that layer of making sure that the, you don't have to worry about the massive confusion behind these different TLDs. And there's also some more stuff that ICANN's doing, um, in like right now about mess kind of basically messing up.org that's happening that, that is potentially going to happen a messing up.org and biz and some other ones. Um, so this is something that is definitely, you know, would be useful when it happens. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm totally, uh, I'm happy that they're making it and also happy that they're donating so much to the community because this is just really amazing that they're, they're, they're taking the profits. Fundraiser. What it is, is they just had an excess of fundraising of more than they needed of $10 million. So they're giving it back to the community, but you can see how important that is that they've raised that much money in order to implement this because the decentralization of control of web could be very dangerous. If one company could be manipulated, it could change things entirely in the infrastructure by moving it to blockchain. One person can't do anything, right? The entire block has to prove it. So I think it's a really cool thing that they've done here and I will be watching this project with a lot of interest. Yeah, you're, you make a great point. I ask also because ICANN's kind of messing up .org and .org is heavily used in nonprofits and uh, open source communities and stuff. Even Destination Linux has a .org address and uh, ICANN is basically al- is going to allow or is they're saying that they're going to allow, but people are still trying to combat that. But they're saying that they're going to allow the people who run the .org uh, registrar stuff to basically increase the price to whatever they want. Because right now there's a lock about what a specific prices you're allowed to use to sell the .org. And they're basically trying to make it where the registrars can just pick whatever they want. So uh, that would be very bad. Like it makes sense that the TLDs of like .ninja could pick whatever they want because they paid to do that. Whereas the .org, they didn't pay to do it. So it's much more complicated. So I'm glad like a handshake doing this has a lot of potential to improve some aspects of that problem. So up next in the news, and this one I'm hoping I can kind of uh, get Michael's attention here because he is very passionate about this subject. But Epic Game Store is now available on Linux, which is shocking because this is the same Epic Game Store that said we have no interest in Linux. Because they didn't do it and someone else did it. Well, I was getting to that. You completely <laughs> get, you're the type of person that, when you're watching the new Avengers, just tells the ending. No, I would never do that. It's just yeah, like you're true. you're ba- you're basically saying like I was baiting. I won't, and then I won't, you could- <laughs> uh, yes, they didn't do it. Lutris, in fact, made the Epic Game Store work on Linux. Lutris does lots of awesome things to make gaming work properly on Linux, and the Epic Game Store is now in addition to that. What I found interesting is the CEO of Epic Games, Tim Sweeney, replied to Lutris' tweet about, hey, we got Epic Game Store working on Linux using Lutris, and said, you should apply for one of our grants and seem to have some interest in this project, probably because he noticed all of the retweets and popularity of Lutris and thought, man, it's probably be pretty stupid of me to mess with Linux again, and uh, maybe I'll try to jump on this. So at least they do have grants for adding features in. Is this a good step that the Epic CEO, Michael, kind of you know put a little olive branch out and said, hey, this is pretty cool. Why don't you apply for a grant from us and uh, see what we can do with it? I'm, gl- I'm I, Lutris, great job. I'm really happy that you did this. It doesn't change my opinion of Epic. Because like the the CEO like yeah here's an olive branch at the same time I'm gonna slap you with that branch before because <laughs> he did the thing where he said uh, using Linux for gaming is like someone who just complained about the the president of the United States that getting the person they don't want and then moving to Canada like it, we're, we got to fix the Windows where it is now we, we have to worry about what we're using now we don't have to worry like so he's he makes fun of Linux all the time and he's been doing it for years so no I don't think that this one olive branch changes my opinion of epic yes there are sometimes where they do things that are good they they open sourced sort of unreal unreal engine but they didn't make it work on Linux 
uh, the community made it work on Linux. So mm -hmm. yes, they are doing certain they things. They just that, got out of the way. Yeah, they just get, and the same thing with here. Like they, they had nothing to do with it. And the only reason it worked is because it's electron based, you know, so that there's benefits that it, that Lutras could make it work. And they, all they do is kind of get out of the way for us to fix it ourselves. They don't really put the effort in themselves to do anything. So I still don't like Epic Games in that sense, but at least they're sort of willing to listen to the community when the community just refuses to listen to them and does it does it ourselves. So awesome. Thank you, Lutris. That is awesome. I can't wait to try some games, especially if Borderland 3's works through this, this what y'all did. Amazing. So uh, there you go. But yeah, Epic Games. Mad then. love to Lutris where the love belongs. Exactly. Exactly. Also where some love belongs is PDF. Not really. That's weird. <laughs> You gotta leave that in. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, up, up next in our spotlight is the PDF Arranger, which is a really cool tool. It's a GUI Python GTK based application that allows you to uh, merge, split, rotate, crop, and rearrange pages in a PDF. Because editing a PDF is you know very mm -hmm. annoying, and even in if you have Adobe stuff. Um, but it is really cool that they are making this app, this application because it allows you to use like an interactive and intuitive graphical interface to manipulate these PDF files much more easily and you can manage them as well as a lot easier as well. Yep, absolutely. PDF Ranger, you know, having to deal with closing on a house not so long ago and the sheer amount of PDFs that were sent that needed to be combined with other documents that needed. This is a lifesaver type of tool. If you don't use PDFs a lot, you may go, who cares? I don't need anything like this. But the moment that you do, you will be begging for, what was that application they had again that does the PDF stuff? Because it's so obnoxious otherwise. So it's a pretty cool tool. Yeah, absolutely. Our tip and trick of the week is BC. Now, BC is a command line calculator that is included with most distros but can it be installed from your repository if needed the tool allows you to be scientific financial or simple calculations and perform them right from the terminal simply type bc in the terminal to invoke your type of operations such as you know seven times seven or seven minus seven and press enter it supports addition subtraction multiplication parentheses exponents and etc so <laughs> and etc etc so check that out that is one of those tools that i had no idea existed in the command mm. line i'm happy to learn about it it definitely is something i'd be willing to use i don't know if i i'm trying to think i guess the simple just addition and subtraction uh yeah. you know there's more times than not i bang open a a calculator just to to bang something out but if i can do that from the terminal especially with the drop down terminal that'd be really nice absolutely yeah. and extra yep. tip k runner has it built in too oh there we really? go yeah you can uh, do calc i don't know if it's bc but you can do calculations inside of k runner like the basic simple stuff i think you are going to have to read some of the instructions though because by default 22 divided by 7 is 3 so that's the answer that comes out in the terminal whereas we all know it's 3.1415926 so or in fact <laughs> By the calculator terminology, it's 3.1428571. It's not proper pi. So there must be some configuration in there somewhere. It rounds up more, more than decimal, likely, probably. More yeah. decimal points, yeah. yeah. Wow, Zeb bringing the heat. Nice. I like it. Math is hard. <laughs> so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and coffee supporters. We just want to give a special shout out to all of you for your continued support. We do a live show for patrons, so you can come join us live and watch this show, be a part of the show, at the beginnings and the end before we start filming and recording. And you can join for just one measly little dollar you probably could find in your couch cushion and that's darn near free so do it that's right we're now on coffee as a way to support the show coffee offers a nice monthly option that allows you to have the same perks as those folks over at patreon except you're not a patreon you're a coffee supporter or a coffee buyer or a coffee giver coffee patron that is not we're not getting <laughs> I, we don't have time triggered. to get into it triggered <laughs> There'll be a link for this in the show notes, and you can go to our website to join Coffee. The perks include things like access to the live shows and unedited versions, as well as our sincere gratitude. So please check that out. Check the show notes for more information. And as usual, get back to us and let us know what you think of the show. Ask any burning questions via the numerous methods. Let us, let us know whether or not you think you are a Coffee patron. Um, and send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. 
You can comment on our Telegram group, our Discord group, Twitter, Mastodon, and other ways. I'll be and kicking my- people who identify as coffee patrons. Just- <laughs> We're going to start a war between Kofi and Patreon <laughs> members. They're this all going to sing- fight each single other. Single click They're and like, double click, isn't it? Yeah, room, it's the same kind of thing. Folks, yeah. you like them. <clears throat> So the good news is Michael has got all these methods of contact for Destination Linux at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep them coming. Yep. And if you want to get more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels and podcast. Uh, you can check out Ryan. You find out his at youtube.com slash dosgeek, where mm-hmm. he does uh, videos about uh, hardware reviews and some various different geeky things as well as tutorials. Uh, you can also check out Zeb on his YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Boss, where he, he teaches sh- you how to plug he, in a USB He shows drive. you how to plug in USB drives. <laughs> <laughs> Which Noah needed earlier. Right. Uh, and you can also check out my content at tuxdigital.com, and you can check out this Week in Linux podcast where I do news, uh, very in-depth news uh, research mm-hmm. around uh, various different topics of the week. Uh, you can check out Noah's show, where it's the Ask Noah show, where he takes you know, call-in uh, live questions from the audience, whether it's business, tech, or Linux questions. All, it's a really interesting show. Check it out. Uh, also, be sure to lo- uh, like that smash button and share the show on social media. Everybody, have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. We did it. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. Right on time. This was like one of those movies, though, that's going along really well. Like, and it's ready. You're getting ready. And all of a sudden, it's like, finished. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.